bit of a change. Today's scripture reading is uh, Genesis 19, 1 through 14, and 24 and 25. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, turn aside, I pray to you, to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may raise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the street. But he urged them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us, that we may know them. Lot went out to the door to the men, shut the door after them, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known man. Let me bring them out to you, and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn, and he would play the judge? Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard upon the man, Lot, and drew near to break the door. But the men put forth their hands and brought Lot into the house to them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the door of the house, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, son-in-law, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone else in the city? Bring them out of this place, for we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his son-in-laws to be jesting. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities. And what grew on the ground? The word of the Lord. This is a horrible story. <laughs> I mean, I just, it just doesn't even seem appropriate to read in church. It's a horrible story, but it's an old story. I mean, it's old in the sense that biblical scholars think that Sodom, the Sodom and Gomorrah story belongs to a much older tradition than the material surrounding it much older than the story of Abraham negotiating with God to spare the city of Sodom that comes right before it in chapter 18. But it's an old, old story, too, in the sense that the content, the subject, the sentiments in the story are old, old and familiar. It goes like this. There are really bad people, really bad, wicked, evil people. And because of their evilness, they need to be stopped, taken care of, punished, indicted, judged, and sentences, sentenced. And in the case of this evilness and this particular, the particular heinousness of their transgression, we will be seeking the death penalty and we will be trying them as adults. We will be charging them with crimes against humanity. 
It is an old and familiar story, and it goes like this. Because of their evilness, they were destroyed. God judged them and destroyed them. Whether it's God's, inst- God's instrument was fire and brimstone raining down, a great flood, the armies of another country, or a lynch mob, it was the righteousness of God that was behind it. God even uses the armies of other evil people to punish his chosen people when they are wicked and unfaithful as instruments of his justice. In Habakkuk, God says, I am rousing the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous nation who march through the breadth of the earth. They come for violence with faces pressing forward. They gather captives like sand. This is an old and familiar story. The evil of the people bringing God's judgment down upon them. Sodom and Gomorrah becoming the shorthand for this narrative that is told throughout history and across continents. It was said of the fall of the Roman Empire. It was said of the earthquake in San Francisco and the earthquake in New Orleans and Hurricane Katrina. And another element of this old and familiar story is that the innocent suffer along with the wicked. Not everyone in New Orleans was a God-hating flaunter of alternative lifestyles and practicer of unnatural acts. Not everyone in Rome was a lascivious, gluttonous, fornicating pederast. One could argue that according to the story in the Bible, everyone in the whole world but Noah was filled with wickedness. Really? Even the babies? The toddlers? The children? The animals that didn't make the cut? Is it possible that everyone in Dresden was a murdering Nazi? Was everyone an infidel with blood on their hands in the embassy in Libya? In the towers of the World Trade Center? Were they all guilty? Of course, not all those people are filled with innocence. Uh, They're not innocent of particular charges of the evil brought against them. Maybe some of them. I don't know. But in order to punish wickedness or to stop the evildoers, it means the loss of innocent life. That's just the way it is. It is necessary and regrettable. But the meeting out of justice by the righteous or the righteousness of God must be done. This is the story that is old and familiar. This is the story that is always told over and over again around campfires of nomadic tribes at the United Nations. It is a story and it is important to understand. In understanding any story, you need to ask who is telling the story and why? Who is telling this story and why? The story we have here, the story that becomes the shorthand for all of these stories, is told by the writer of Genesis, who is traditionally said to be Moses, or that the implied author is God, or that these stories that make up Genesis were taken from many different sources and compiled and edited. So we could ask the same question, who were these editors, and why did they decide to include this story? Is it, inclu- is it included as a warning to other evil people that if they continue their evil ways, God's wrath will destroy them? Is it included so that readers throughout history, 
from the fledgling nation of Israel to 21st century American Christians learn that something, learn this about our God? Is this story meant to tell us what God is like? Is it told so we learn something about what we are like? You know, there's another story told right before it, and it's believed to be a much newer story than the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's a very different story. In this story, we have God and Abraham walking along with two angels. And Abraham is going along to point out, out the way to Sodom. And the Lord says to the Lord's self, I wonder if I should tell Abraham why we're going to Sodom. And the Lord, for various reasons, mostly that the Lord really liked Abraham and trusted him and depended on him, decided that the Lord would tell Abraham why they were going to Sodom. It says this, Then the Lord said, How great is the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah, and how very grave their sin. I must go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. The men turned from there and went toward Sodom, while Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Just one little note here, thing to note, that the last line, so the men turned from there and went toward Sodom while Abraham remained standing before the Lord. In the earliest manuscripts, it says that the men turned from there and went toward Sodom while the Lord remained standing there before Abraham. But the scribes changed it to say that the Lord left too because the Lord standing before Abraham puts the Lord in a subservient position to Abraham. They thought they should change it. But it makes more sense of what follows. Abraham comes close to the Lord and asks, Will you really sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you sweep them away and not give them forgiveness for 50 who are in it? Far be it for you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked. Abraham is saying to the Lord, so that the righteous fare as the wicked fare, far be that from you. You shall not judge all of the earth. Do what is right. And the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous, I will forgive the whole place for their sake. Now this is a radically, radically different kind of story than the old familiar one the one we know and the Lord knows, that in meeting out justice to the wicked, it is necessary and regrettable that innocent lives are lost. The innocent die because of the evil of the evildoers. In a way, it is the last evil act of the evildoers to put the forces of righteousness or the righteousness of God in a position where innocent lives must be lost. But Abraham here is teaching the Lord. He has a completely different take on the situation. It's like a theological leap that's so audacious, it's almost as audacious as insisting on one God. Abraham suggests that instead of the innocent dying because of the wicked, that the wicked should be spared because of the righteousness of the innocents. That is not the old and familiar story. He gets the Lord to go along with the idea if there are 50 righteous people, then the Lord will forgive them all and spare them all. But then he keeps reducing the number. How about if there are 45 righteous people, will you spare everyone? The Lord agrees. Okay, how about 40? 
The Lord agrees. And he, he brings them all the way down, negotiates them all the way down to ten. If there are ten righteous people, will you spare the whole city? And I don't think Abraham keeps reducing the number because he has doubts that there are that many righteous people in Sodom. I think he keeps reducing the number to make a point to God that any innocent person should not be slaughtered because of the actions of the wicked. Not even one innocent person. Only one innocent person should all, it be, all there needs to be to forgive all of them. So after God agrees on ten, they go their separate ways. Now one could think that God goes straight to Sodom after this and either can't find ten innocent people, therefore proving that the Lord kind of missed Abraham's point, or that God just completely went back on his bargain with Abraham, or that it is possible that the old story of Sodom and Gomorrah was completely a detached tradition from this story, the story we know so well. It was so old and so well known that it could not be changed. So Moses or God or the editors of the book decided to put this new radical story in front of it so readers might compare the two. The old story of retributive justice or the new story of grace and redemption for all on behalf of the innocent. Of course, there is one big question remaining. Who is the innocent? Is there even one? <laughs>